910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. Today, we're continuing in our new series on the book of Daniel, taking a look at Daniel chapter 2. When we left Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah at the end of chapter 1, they'd completed their training and were serving in high positions in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And chapter two begins with King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon having a troubling dream that keeps him awake. Most of us know eating those rich royal treats will do that sometimes, but this dream was from God, not a late night snack. Although God could have used the snack as one of the means to get him to have a dream. The wise men and the enchanters of the country have a problem. King Nebuchadnezzar wants someone to tell him not only what the dream means, but he wants the person to tell him what the dream was in the first place. Well, that sounds like a nightmare. But before we begin, Rose, I'd like to start by saying something that we've covered in a podcast already. And that is that Christians shouldn't be trying to do dream interpretation. If you want to know why we say that, you can listen to episode 85, Dream Interpretations and Signs. And for anyone who has listened to that episode, it might seem like what we're going to say today contradicts some of the things we said in that episode, but rest assured, we're not being contradictory. There's a big difference between dreams and interpretations that appear in the Old Testament and dreams and interpretations of today. Absolutely. And there's an important distinction that we need to make. In the Old Testament and a few places in the New Testament, God used dreams and visions to communicate with his people. God did that because, remember, people didn't have the Bible. In the Old Testament, even after Moses wrote the law down, it wasn't available to most people. In fact, for a while, it was lost, like a, a few hundred years, and it wasn't even read. Right. So God used visions and dreams to give his prophets messages or to communicate with some of his people to reveal his will or to further his plan. Well, now God doesn't need to use dreams and visions to reveal his will. Everything every Christian needs to know about the perceptive will of God, the will of God that we need to know and obey, is written for us in the Bible. Prophecy and everything we need to know about God on this side of heaven is contained in Scripture, and Scripture is closed. As Hebrews 1, 1-2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And just to further clarify, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the manifestation of the word of God. So that Hebrews 1 verse is saying, In these last days, meaning the time between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' second coming, God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. Okay, so we just wanted to clear that up because sometimes people think that all of scripture is speaking to them. So if God gave dreams and visions in Bible times, then he must do it now too. But that's right. right. But don't get us wrong. All of scripture is relevant to all Christians. It teaches us about God's character, shows us God's redemptive plan, and how everything ultimately points to Jesus. But that doesn't mean that all of scripture is prescriptive for us. In other words, we shouldn't assume that because prophets were given visions that we will be too. God had specific reasons for doing specific things in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like, for example, he empowered the apostles to be able to drive out demons and heal. And that was to start the church and to get the initial spread of the gospel. 
but it doesn't need to do that anymore because church has started and we have the Bible. Absolutely. And the word you used, Rose, is prescriptive. We need to be able to discern what is prescriptive for us and what is not. Right. So now getting back to Daniel, in the Near East pagan nations of Daniel's time, dream interpretation was a huge deal. It was thought that the gods, you know, little G, spoke to people in that way. And that for someone not to remember a dream meant that the deity was angry. We aren't told whether Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember his dream or if he wanted to test his magicians and astrologers and sorcerers. Whatever the reason, their backs are against the wall. Yeah. So let's read about it. Okay. I'll read Daniel 2, 1 to 13. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered and the king said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Okay. So you might not have picked up on this, but let's talk about something that seems like it might be contradicting itself. Chapter two says the dream interpretation happened in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. But we're told in chapter one that Daniel and company were to get three years of training, which would seem like it shouldn't have been finished yet. So why are Daniel and his three friends included here? That seems like a contradiction, but Chris, it's not. No, because none of the Bible contradicts itself when you, you know, understand it correctly. And we talk about this in the Bible blueprint in the King section. The dating of King's reigns back then is, is extremely complicated. And partly because or mostly because it wasn't always done the same way, not even in the same country, which seems crazy. It just was that way. Sometimes Kings co-reigned, especially fathers and sons. So that gets wonky. Sometimes the king's ascension year would be counted as his first reigning year, but many times it would not be counted as his first year. And that's likely how it is here in Daniel's case. So in that case, Daniel and his friend's first year of training would have happened during Nebuchadnezzar's ascension year. 
and their second year training during the king's first counted year and the third year of their training during the king's second year. And we know that's clear as mud. Yeah. But, but we didn't it, devise a system. <laughs> we didn't no, devise it. Nobody had, nobody had a system. Oh. But we just wanted to point out, if you did catch that, it's not a contradiction. Daniel and his three friends would have been done with their training, which lines up with what was said at the end of chapter one. So these magicians and these astrologers realize they're in a helpless state. According to their own words, they can't do anything. Only the gods, little g, can. Right. And we just want to say there's really no such thing as God's little j. They're no. just made up things like the tooth fairy. It's there's yeah. no, you know, as our seminary professor, Dr. Stewart said, it's just stupid. <laughs> yeah. I forget what the reference of the verse is, but God talks about, you know, how you people make wood into a statue and you worship it. And then you take the rest of the log and you use it for making your fire. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. And yeah. this isn't the first time, of course, in the Bible that we see magicians and astrologers admitting that they're powerless and only the gods, little g, can do something. If you recall the story of the plagues with Moses, Pharaoh's astrologers were able to replicate the first couple of plagues that, may, that Moses was doing. And of course, this was only because of the power of God. But it ended up, as it always does, that shows that none of these fake gods are any match for the only God, big g. And eventually, even they have to admit this is the finger of God, big G. And here in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's guys have to admit the truth too. They can't tell him what the dream was. Only, quote unquote, the gods can, and their gods could not help them. You know, Rose, over and over in the Bible, we are shown the futility of worshiping false gods, worshiping gods made by human hands, practicing astrology or divination, all of it is worthless. That's right, worthless. Something that we're going to point out as we go through Daniel 2 is that there's allusions to Jesus and the gospel. They're there to point us to God saving his people and Jesus establishing his everlasting kingdom that will utterly destroy all the world's kingdoms. The first of these hints at Jesus is from the section that we just read. The wise men make a statement that's not true at all. They say the gods don't dwell with men. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He came to earth and he dwelt with men. Right. He turned beliefs on their head. Imagine that. Another illusion of the gospel is that the wise men are completely and utterly helpless. The situation is impossible for man to do anything about. The magicians and astrologers know that without supernatural help, which they indicate they're not having any hope of getting anytime soon, they're as good as dead and they're doomed to destruction. That's the condition of every human being without being supernaturally regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We're dead and we're doomed for destruction. We definitely are. And we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it until or unless the spirit gets a hold of us. So right. let's read some more of the text, Rose. And let's look at how Daniel handles the news that he and his friends are about to die. All right. I'll read the next few verses, 14 to 16. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Just like we saw in chapter one, Daniel shows his trust in God's goodness and God's faithfulness again. 
When Arioch, the captain of the guard, shows up to take Daniel and his friends, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, it says. He doesn't freak out when he hears about the decree. Instead, he finds out the facts, and then he goes to the king to ask for time, or for an appointed time, to tell him the interpretation. Because of his faith and trust in God, he has confidence to ask for the very thing that the king was originally unwilling to give his wise men more of. Crazy. Daniel was a Jewish boy raised on the scriptures. He would have known about Joseph getting interpretations of dreams from God. Knowing how God had acted for his people in the past probably gave Daniel some faith to ask again. Good reason we should read and study our Bibles, Rose. (laughs) And God made Nebuchadnezzar's heart inclined toward Daniel. And all of a sudden, he doesn't seem to have a problem with giving more time. You know, going to the king unsummoned wasn't something that you just did. If you've studied Esther, you know that if you went into the king without being summoned and he didn't extend the royal scepter to you, it was off with your head, I think immediately. That's right. It was a bold move to go to the king unsummoned, as we saw, like you said, Chris, as we saw in Esther and as we see here with Daniel. Daniel might have still had some fear and trepidation, despite what he already knew from scripture, but it doesn't stop him from doing it. He knows this is an impossible situation for man. But with God, all things are possible. Yeah, God's people are never without hope. We should never feel like any situation is totally hopeless. So Daniel went in and asked for time, and he told Arioch not to kill the wise men. Here's another picture of the gospel. Daniel stood in the gap as an intercessor for people who, in this case, are the wise men, who were completely and utterly helpless. They were doomed for destruction, and they had no hope without God interceding. Right. And Daniel's a picture of Christ here who interceded for us and continues to intercede for us. We are utterly helpless and without hope unless God saves us. And Chris, on another note, scholars are divided on whether Arioch went with Daniel when he went in to ask for more time to interpret the dream, or if he only went later after Daniel had gotten the answer and was going to give it to the king, which we're going to see in a few verses. But going either time would have been a really bold move for Arioch, who wasn't a follower of Yahweh. No, no. And according to Gill's commentary, God inclined not just Nebuchadnezzar's heart to Daniel, but Arioch's heart toward Daniel too. Here's what the commentary says, though, about what you're talking about, about the two going to the king. Gill says, was a bold and daring action in them both. In Arioch, to cease from doing his orders and entering into the king's presence before he had done them, and in Daniel to appear before him, having the name of a wise man when the king was in such a fury. All was owing to the providence of God that wrought upon the heart of Arioch to listen to Daniel and what he said and inspired them both with courage to go into the king and desired of the king that he would give him time. Good commentary. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's read some more of the text. I'll read the next few verses. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Okay, so Daniel asked the king for time. He doesn't ask the king to spare their lives. He and his friends know who holds the power over life and death, and it's not Nebuchadnezzar. 
They're dead if God doesn't act. Rose, this mystery of what the dream was that only God can reveal is another allusion to the gospel. You want to explain that? Sure. Paul refers to the gospel message. He says it's a mystery of his will regarding Christ in Ephesians 1.9. And there's other places scripture talks about it this way. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about the Holy Spirit imparting the secret and hidden wisdom, meaning the knowledge of Christ, to the elect. The knowledge of salvation is something only God can reveal to man. That's what we call special revelation. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go on. I'm going to read verses 20 to 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. So notice here, Daniel's not rushing off to tell the king the answer, saying, hey, I got it, I got it. He takes time to praise God for what God's done for him, even with the threat of death hanging over his and his friends' heads. You know, Chris, if we think we can do anything for God without prayer and without praise and just do it on our own strength, we're fooling ourselves and we're probably heading for a big fall. That's exactly right. I took my mom to her church last week, and the focus of the sermon was about the exiles returning to rebuild the temple. The first thing they did was build the altar. Why? To restore worship, because that's the main thing. And the pastor said, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's right. Westminster Confession, chief end of man is? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's right. Yep. Okay, so let's read a few more verses. I'll take it from 24 to 30. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I had seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king had asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You know, Arioch wants to take credit for finding someone who could interpret the king's dream. And in contrast, Daniel takes no credit at all for the interpretation. Daniel gives all the glory to God. That's right. Big contrast. Arioch brings Daniel to the king in haste, as it says, probably because he still hasn't killed the wise men yet. And he's getting a little nervous that he's in trouble. 
<laughs> yeah, because his orders are still hanging out there. <laughs> oh, anyway, let's read uh, verses 31 to 45, the dream and the interpretation. I'll start. Okay. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. I'll pick it up from there, starting at verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom. Strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the last days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation, sure. Okay, so we need to tell you something here before we go on in the book of Daniel, and that is that chapters 2 through 7 of Daniel are written in a chiastic structure. The chiasm is a literary device used to help with memorization, because remember, these people didn't have a Bible that they could just go and open and read at any time. So they had to memorize. A chiasm follows a pattern like this, A, B, C, C, B, A. It can be of any length. An example of one is food for the stomach, the stomach for food. And that would be A, B, B, A. It would have two parts on each side. There's a lot of examples of these in the Bible. So it's good to familiarize yourself with the concept and that's because there's always a middle point, and that's the main point of the text that it's in. Right. And we're telling you this because this dream in chapter two parallels another one we're going to look at in chapter seven, because they're the ends of the chiasm. So they're the two outside parts. They're talking about the same four political kingdoms, and we're going to talk about those kingdoms in another episode, not in this episode. But both sections end by pointing to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom, which is going to reign forever. 
Chapter seven and beyond will give us more intricate detail about the four kingdoms using a lot of apocalyptic language. So this dream is showing what is to come in the future. Babylon is the head of gold. That's the only kingdom specified here in chapter two. Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar the king of kings, a phrase that's typically used for kings who ruled over other kings. And Nebuchadnezzar did reign over other kingdoms. We know that he's reigning over Judah and Jerusalem. And as prophesied in Ezekiel 26, 7, shortly after Jerusalem's fall, he rules over Tyre. And we see God giving warning to several other countries that Babylon will conquer in Jeremiah 27, 5 through 7. So they really are a world superpower. Yeah, they certainly were. Daniel tells mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar that it's God who's given him the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, according to verse 37 that we read. God has given the king virtually the same authority that he gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Daniel explains that after Nebuchadnezzar's time, there's going to be more kingdoms, all of who are more and more inferior to the last. And the last one is going to be comprised of so many different factions or people groups that it's going to be critically unstable and it's going to end up falling apart, which it does. And it's at that time that God will establish his final and everlasting kingdom brought by Christ, who's represented in this dream as the stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand. So Jesus is going to destroy all the other kingdoms of the earth. The final kingdom, Christ's kingdom, is going to start small, but it's going to fill the entire earth. Yeah, though starting small, like a mustard seed that grows into the mightiest of trees, according to Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32, Christ's people, the church, grow until it's comprised of people from every tribe and every tongue and nation. Unlike the mixed people group in the preceding kingdom that cannot hold together, Christ will bring the only true and lasting peace that comes through him that can bring unity and bring people from all facets of society together. Right. God is the one who gives every earthly kingdom its power and glory. And I know sometimes that's hard to swallow, especially now, but it's true. They don't get it on their own. God is in charge. God is sovereign. He's giving them all the power. They can do nothing without him allowing it and empowering him to. You know, Chris, like we said earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had power and authority similar to what Adam had. Adam lost it. Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose it too, as these other kingdoms are. Absolutely. Why don't we finish the chapter out? There's only a few more verses. Why don't we finish them out? Okay, I'll read them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging that the God who Daniel worships was God of gods. What exactly is he saying here? Has he become a believer? No. Matter of fact, he says, Daniel, your God, Daniel's God. He's recognizing that Daniel's God, Yahweh, is above all the other gods that he worships. And we see this a few times with other pagan kings. Nebuchadnezzar's admitting superiority of Yahweh, but not exclusivity. Right. So he's not saved. No. Daniel 
Like Joseph being second in command to Pharaoh and Esther's uncle Mordecai second in command to King Xerxes, Daniel's a stranger in a strange land. And he's promoted and placed over the entire province of Babylon, as well as having charge of the wise men. He also secures high places of authority for his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what should we take away from studying chapter two of Daniel if it's not that we get dreams and interpretations? Well, it's the same theme of the whole Bible. God is always faithful, both in his judgments and in his mercy. And he never leaves his people without hope. That is something we all desperately need to hear now. He told the exiles he would return them to their homeland. He promised them a future and a kingdom that would never end. He promised them a Messiah and he delivered. And we get to be on the other end of that promise. We've seen it. God is sovereignly in control of all of history. Every bit of it, big and small, no amount of human ingenuity or political strength or military might can thwart his plans. He raises king and kingdoms up. He smashes kings and kingdoms never to rise again. And we see that throughout the Bible, throughout history. We can trust in the sovereignty of God no matter what's happening in our government or governments throughout the world. And again, a message we all need to hear right now. Right. God is in control and we can rest in that knowledge now, no matter what's going on around us. Just like he promised to return the Israelites to the promised land, we're going to get to our promised land, which is heaven. Even the promised land in the Old Testament was ultimately pointing to heaven. Right. It doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. We pray about the situations in our lives, what's going on in the world. We spread the gospel. We live our lives seeking the good of the places where God's put us. And Chris, we talked about that some in the last episode. The thrust of Daniel chapter two isn't for us to speculate about other kingdoms represented in the statue. We're going to get to that later. The thrust of the chapter is to show that regardless of what the world thinks, mankind is not on an upward trajectory. We are not getting better and better. We are not headed towards some type of utopian society. Instead, it's the exact opposite. The statue starts with the kingdom of gold, the next silver, the next bronze, and next a mixture of so many things that it's such a mess I can't even hold together. Right. And nowhere in scripture is a utopian society supported. Mm -mm. Not only does this last kingdom not hold together, verse 40 says, the iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. Chris? That sounds reminiscent of the world powers destroying their own from Revelation. It absolutely does. And, you know, we've said this before, Rose. There are no countries on the face of the planet that are God's country. Not Israel and not the United States of America. All Christians, wherever they're from on the planet, are strangers and aliens wherever they happen to be. We belong to God's kingdom. But that kingdom won't culminate until Christ returns. Until then, we're living in a culture that's anti-God no matter where we live. Our job is to stand our ground without sinning, stand for Christ regardless of what comes, and do the things that you just said a minute ago. Yeah, the ultimate story here is that there's two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom, and then there's everything else that sets itself up against that, and they're all under the power of Satan. And there's two people groups, the righteous, meaning God's people, and the wicked, meaning everyone else. So... Which kingdom are we pursuing? The power and glory of this world's kingdom, or are we building Christ's kingdom up? 
Do we worship at the altar of man-centered education or at the altar of money or at the altar of power and influence or at the altar of politics? Or do we worship at the altar of God? Good questions for us to ask ourselves. God always keeps his promises. His word is always fulfilled. Kings and kingdoms all through history make war, they make alliances, they break alliances, they subject each other to tribute taxes and slavery, and they get overthrown and they overthrow others. There is nothing new under the sun. And God is working everything to bring about his purposes. He is on the throne. And that's where we're going to end today, Rose. That's a good place to end. We need to remember that he is on the throne. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't checked out our website yet, www.proverbs910ministries.com, check it out. Chris has done a lot of work revamping the whole website, and it really looks fabulous. Thank you, Rose. You can get the link to our launch video for the Bible Blueprint, A Guide to Better Understanding the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. If you haven't seen it yet, you can get information on our fall Zoom Bible study that's coming up on September 9th, or any information on all the latest happenings and check out all our resources. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day, everyone.